0: Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. We are finally at episode 40, and uh, contrary to what I said at the beginning and end of my last episode, uh, that I would not be endeavoring back to space, uh, we are going to take apart the moon landing because it has been so popular, what Jason and I have done over the last two episodes, taking apart the construct of space. But I want to talk about something else before we jump in with Jason here. We live in a construct, and good information is everything. Everything. And that is a big part of the construct that we live in, is denying us the ability to have good information. False news cycles do this. Social engineering does this. There's any number of things we can point to that do this. Um, I want to give support to my brother in Michigan um, who lost his, his young wife to cancer. Um, they went into the medical system. The medical system did what it does, applied poisons like chemotherapy and then they were sent home uh, with no further help offered. We tried to get the good information of nutrition to our friend, uh, things like the Gerson method. Um, and, you know, I've had Sean on the show where he had success saving a fem- member of his family from breast cancer using cannabis-based medicines. Um, the medicines that are coming from the Western world are not cures of any kind for the most part. There are foreign chemical elements introduced into your body and the truth is, things like cancers have been successfully treated for a very long time using plant-based juices and derivatives. The Gerson Method, anyone can look them up. Of course, if you look them up on Wikipedia, they'll tell you that lettuce juice and carrot juice are dangerous. It's nonsense. And uh, I guess I'll leave it at that because I'm a bit upset about this, but um, in this episode, Uh, Jason and I are going to absolutely eviscerate the moon landings. They did not happen. It is not arguable that they happen, and anyone that chooses to argue that they did happen simply has not looked at what we have been handed. Um, There are very few things that we look at in the modern age that do not have a gray area, that leave us wanting more information, that leave us wondering if we're drawing the, the right conclusions, but this is not one of those things. No one has ever been to the moon. We can demonstrate it. Point blank, bang. Um, People that are upset from hearing that, I'm sorry. You you, You cannot make a true thing a lie. No human being in this world can do it, and you cannot make a lie a true thing. There is nothing that can change truth to a lie or lie to a truth. And unfortunately, the moon landings were a major lie, and more of the constructed social engineering and shenanigans, as was Manson, Woodstock, any number of things from the 60s and 70s. But without further ado, much love to my brother in Michigan. Let's jump in. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio Podcast. This is episode 40. Um, In the intro and the ending of the last episode, I said I would be walking away from space for a while. And that is true in a way and not true in another. Um, I've actually asked Jason back one more time due to the popularity of the last two podcasts covering space, and we're going to take a crack at the moon. Um, the moon landing is fraud. And for people who want to argue that point, it's really not arguable. You can look at any aspect of what we have been handed with regard to the moon landings, how that whole thing went down in the 60s and 70s, even from the outset when Kennedy is announcing that we will go to the moon, and you can demonstrate that nothing adds up. As a matter of fact, there are holes so massive in certain parts of the accounts that you can only be left with one conclusion if you are a logical person who sets aside everything you've been told and takes a fresh look critically at what we were handed. And that is that nobody's been to the moon. And in my view, that's not even arguable. It's not one of these things where there's a gray area for me. It's one of the few things where you can look at almost any aspect of it and come to this conclusion. But anyhow, Jason had sent me a PDF from uh, McGowan. He's the same guy who did the Laurel Canyon, uh, which we drew on a bit for the kind of hippies, psychological operation and mcgowan also did a pdf i don't know whether it was drawn from articles it's called wagging the moon doggy it's an interesting read and you know there's a lot of good tidbits in there that anyone can simply go look at what mcgowan did and in the past i have had some issues with some of the mcgowan content but um i'll set that aside because when you go through he was referencing things that i had direct experience with and one of those things I think it was back in 2009, um, and I didn't read the full McGowan account because I remember it. I was there. Um, I had not been using my telescope a lot, but in 2009, NASA announced they were going to bomb the moon. I kid you not. That's the kind of language that the media was putting out there, um, and I've forgotten what it was. I think it was they were going to crash something into a crater to prove there was water or some nonsense, and it was the L-Cross or LaCrosse mission. Anyone can look it up. Don't remember the exact date. Pretty sure it's 2009. At the time, we were told that uh, a person with a 10-inch scope was going to be able to see a plume come off the moon. And even back then, I said, yeah, right, never happened. But I was there, and sure enough, it never happened. And I'll tell you why it didn't happen. Because this is just more nonsense to implant the idea in your mind that the moon is what you've been told it is. And while I started or ended the last episode saying I wouldn't be covering space for a while. Truth be told, when I think about the sun and the moon in the modern era, on the tail of everything that I've studied and done, and my telescope work, I think more about Earth when I think of the sun and the moon. I don't think about those two objects, whatever they may be, as oriented more towards space in any way, shape, or form. I completely associate them with where we are on this world. But anyhow... Um, Jason put together a list, as he typically does. Um, I got through a good part of it. I'm getting over a bug here. But I I would also mention, in the McGowan um, PDF that I mentioned, there's an interesting idea that, um, since we know the moonshot was faked, where'd all the money go? Uh, one, One of McGowan's suppositions is that it was used for Vietnam. And he makes some interesting arguments. And for those who have followed, you remember my Moon Manson Woodstock thing. Um, where I was saying that we went to the moon, then they pulled the Manson hoax to take your eye off the moon, then they pulled the Woodstock nonsense to get your eye off Manson. And the whole moon money for Vietnam almost plays into a similar mindset here, where you've got two tangenting things going on in the world, and you know you can easily question – If we didn't go to the moon and we made a bunch of movies lying that we went to the moon, what the heck happened to all that money? But anyhow, that's kind of a side point. Let me get Jason in here. Uh, Welcome back, Jason. Thank you, Crow. We're going to do the trifecta here. Um, So many people have been into the space thing that we've been knocking down. And this is what I've noticed. You know, in 2013, when I posted the 2012 lunar wave footage, there was a crap storm of people who did not want to accept that I was simply posting video of a thing that I shot that probably shouldn't exist according to what we'd been told. Here we are all the way up in 2017 now, basically calling out space as fraud, and in this episode, the moon landing as fraud, and there are endless folks who are researching it, into it, and what's more, very few folks who are coming in just to simply be rude about it, or have a closed mind. So uh, that's a big reason why I thought we ought to do the trifecta here.
1: No, that's a good idea. And I'm very glad to hear that people are responding to this because whether you you want to accept everything that we discuss, or at least a little bit of it, the important thing here is to keep an open mind and challenge everything.
0: Yeah, there, there's no doubt. Um, you will find, even in, if you can find legitimate points of things that have happened And you study them, you will quickly find that many of them didn't happen quite the way you were told. And while there may be a foundational basis for some given story that you're aware of about our recent history, um, the moon doesn't fit that. There is so much overwhelming evidence that demonstrates that not only in my view, it demonstrates we haven't been there flat out, but in my view... We can't go there um, for whatever reason, and I've said many times, in my view, the moon is not a rock in space. It likely emanates its own light, and probably you couldn't put a boot on it if you wanted to. Um, That's where I'm currently at. But anyhow, I'll kick it on over to you, uh, back over to you, Jason, and we'll do what we always do.
1: Right. So for the little history bit I always like to start with, the whole moon thing gets started uh, with a proposal before the United States Congress, uh, first announced by... John F. Kennedy, president at the time, on May 25, 1961. Then he makes the big public speech that everyone's heard uh, <clears throat> on September 12, 1962, that took place at Rice University in Houston, Texas. Now, everyone needs to bear in mind this is, that this was amongst a huge Cold War social engineering project that was established between the U.S. and the USSR right after World War II. The, the Soviets already claimed a whole bunch of firsts in space, and this was, well, we're going to do something even bigger than what you've done.
0: Right. And and as we pointed out in the last episode, here's JFK. We're talking about the going to the moon speech here, right, Jason?
1: Right. Well, there's two of them. There's there's the one he makes before Congress and then he makes the big public one. Uh, not quite a year later at the university. So there's there's two speeches, actually.
0: Right. And so uh, the, the one that we're referencing here that so many people have seen, which led me to announce that space is likely liquid or liquid ish, Something like that, something other than what we've been told it is a vacuum. But in, in the JFK speech, of course, you know, we set sail on this sea, um, sail forth on this, no, this kind of maritime language. But to get back to it, he makes this big promise to the world that we're going to go to the moon and bring a man back safely in this decade, not because it is hot, you know, easy, but it's hot, you know, this whole <laughs> construct. And he has no foundational basis to be stating any of this, does he?
1: No. uh, As far as what's been publicly announced, NASA had been in space for all of 15 minutes.
0: Right. And I mean, at this point, uh, the claim is, is that Russia was ahead. And let, let me just preface all this. It's all nonsense. Um, I think we can pretty much demonstrate that nothing's going above what we call low Earth orbit. And to be clear, that means nothing is in what we would consider orbit, where there's things spinning around things. Um, That's my view. But, you know... When we fast forward to SpaceX, who's been at it 15 years with all the modern technology and billionaires and ex-NASA employees, they can't even take a ship to the edge of space, let it fall back down and reuse it in some period of time. And here is JFK in the early 60s saying, guess what, guys? We're going to create a technology that doesn't exist. We're going to tell you that they're the most complicated machines that have ever been built in this world. And we're going to go to the moon. And not only are we going to go to the moon, we're going to bring people there. And then we're going to bring them back safely. And lo and behold, we're told they did it. And here we are. How many years forward are we here, Jason? 50? I mean, we're going to be at 60 just, just years. About,
1: just about 50 years now.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're going to be pushing 60 years here before too long. Um, it, it's all nonsense. None of it, the, the timelines we've been handed and the things that we can logically deduce about what we've been handed, none of it works out to back up what we were told.
1: Well, the technology just didn't exist. You know, even if you no. listen to what mainstream NASA says nowadays, they're, they're saying things about the technology that they would need to do this. You know, it, the lunar dust being a huge problem, the, the radiation being a huge problem, you know. It's just all these things it's like, well, you didn't seem to have a trouble with all these uh m- all this magic technology in the 1960s.
0: That's right. And, you know, in so many of the things I've already referenced in this episode and places you can look like Aulis.com, dot com, and the McGowan work and any number of things, they never really have explained how the radiation shielding was put together. And there are actually good videos that demonstrate the nuclear hoax, the radiation hoax um, on YouTube now that state basically radiation is heat and they've got people holding um, uranium in their hand and other things with a Geiger counter demonstrating these things. Um, But the point I would make is um, you can look almost anywhere you want to try to figure out how we were shielded from these supposed gnarly radiation belts called Van Allen and you won't find out how they did it. It's that simple.
1: Well, there wasn't anything, and um, <clears throat> the thing to remember with all of this is that they did Mercury, they did Gemini, and those may have some semblance of reality to them. You know, shooting a person up into very low Earth orbit and coming back down, that, that sounds like it could be possible. The, the jump from Gemini to the wonders of Apollo are, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, it's like going from a Model T to a 2017 Ferrari. It's like, it couldn't happen the way it progressed they just it was too much of a jump. They couldn't even get docking maneuvers right that by their own admissions and the spacewalks, only one of them went OK and people almost died on all this. Well, they needed to be able to do all of these things with this insanely complicated Apollo mission. Uh, it's just not likely, you know.
0: No. And not only is it not likely, um, I, as I've said so many times, if you were the man in charge or the woman in charge of this thing called the new space race, what would your be your primary concerns? Well, primarily, you'd be concerned with safety, wouldn't you? That's always the the, the paramount concern. Secondarily, you'd want to meet mission object, objectives. But the third thing in line in almost everything I think about when I look at what we've been presented with is you're going to want good imagery. Because a big part of this was we were told America is racing Russia. Russia is ahead of us, but we're America and we're going to win. So it was a construct meant to buoy up Um, America's pride in itself at a time when Vietnam's going on. And of course, everyone knows that didn't go very well. So here again, the imagery is crap. I mean, it is terrible for the longest time. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it as we get into the list. At some points, they're filming supposed key points of history with a camera off a monitor claiming that the technology doesn't jive for crying out loud.
1: Right. And and, and that's what That's what this is all about. It's just things don't add up. Now, once they get to the moon, of course, we start having these stunning images that as soon as you dig into it a little bit, you realize that's not very likely.
0: No, and it's not. This is where what they did falls so flat to the floor that arguments cannot be made to defend it. Um, There are very good images, very rich color, very sharp detail where they've proven that NASA is saying these pictures were taken in something like three different places and the exact same background is being used in each one. This demonstrates that it's a sound stage. and this sets aside the stereoscopic method that was used that can figure out how far a background image is from a foreground image, and we're being told it's five kilometers or so many kilometers when in fact it's hundreds of feet. It's a sound stage, and that's demonstrated. So at that point, I mean, anyone who wants to logically look at what you're being told it's just a lie
1: right and and before we even get into the history of how apollo worked it has to be pointed out that in in addition to faking this whole huge endeavor nearly the entirety of 1960s culture was created and manipulated on multiple fronts uh, from various social engineering standpoints Uh, a lot of what was going on with nasa uh, with all those national missions throughout the sixties seems to be a grandiose distraction of what the banking cartels were doing internationally with their giant war machines. And, uh, you know, people in, people weren't thrilled about these things. And, uh, there was, you know, assassinations and protests going on public shootings. Like there was lots of crazy stuff going on in the sixties that obviously like things were not well.
0: No. Um, and I was alive then I can remember the sense of it. Um, and, and you're right. It was one thing after another in the same way they did a moonshot, then a Manson hoax, then uh, did this thing called, um, you know, uh, Woodstock. But it clearly did not happen in the way we were shown in the same way that we can show that the Monterey Pop Festival was the beginning of psychological operations. We had a slew of violence all the way through the 60s. It's almost like the false news cycles that we see today cut their teeth in the 60s.
1: Yeah, yeah. And as far as the hippie movement, that was has been proven to be a complete farce as well. Uh, you know, it started out in California, and again, McGowan's work is phenomenal, but there's other people who who have proven this as well. And it started in the San Francisco area and the Laurel Canyon area, and it just kind of worked its way out. Um, it, it seems like the social engineers were just going into massive overtime work because uh, they've got the rock bands and, and all these huge music figures... Just doing distraction after distraction. It's just it's insane what the sixties were all really all about.
0: No, it's it's crazy. Um, and not only that, they drugged the daylights out of an entire generation and this went on for decades, but what you've got to realize As those hippies from the 60s, I'm a little bit too young to count myself among them, but I was shortly behind them. Um, They're all adults now. So at this pinnacle of social engineering at the beginning of 60s, where places like Tavistock declare war on the young generation, literally declare war on the young generation and begin this social construct, which is going to shape all of Western culture. I mean, anyone can recognize what the Beatles did to the world. Well, that's part of what we're talking about here. It is social engineering at a level that is staggering. But to get back to the point, all those young kids in the 60s, they all grew up. So that is who is adult in the Western United in the Western world United States now. And they have lived a lifetime of near nonstop social engineering. And then when you mix the drugs in it and what our medical system has become, you can begin to see that there really is no facet of the culture and history that we think we understand that cannot be challenged. And I think what NASA did plays so heavily on this because everyone was so disoriented.
1: it's really obvious, too, when you look at like the adults from the 40s and 50s and the things they're accomplishing, and then you start looking at the 60s and 70s generations. It's obvious that the social engineers just grabbed a hold of everything and slammed it in the direction they wanted it to go.
0: That's right. And that direction was down. It was to de-evolve. And in my view, um, you know, so many people ask about astrology or why tracking the sky and tracking when Venus transits the moon and when an eclipse happens, you know, solar or lunar, why that's important. Well, this is why it's important, because the only true clock we have for this place is the sky. The only true division of a season we have is the equinoxes and solstices. That's it. And there has been so much work done to screw up our calendar, to pull us out of the cycle. But the main point I would make here is if there are people here that have very old or maybe even ancient knowledge of what the cycles were counting and what was coming, it is quite likely that as they begin to drug out an entire generation in the 60s and just step up social engineering to an absurd level did they understand that when we cleared the millennium that so many of us were going to be awake at this point and not fooled by the nonsense and i think there could be an argument made pretty convincingly that that is a likely likely thing
1: right i i always think that the internet is the thing that changes everything and it's it's a complete double edged sword
0: oh there there's no doubt i i mean so many people come and comment and they you know they ask is this true is that true and you know i find myself repeatedly writing the same thing. An adult human being thinking in the higher mind has the ability to detect the ring of truth. Unfortunately, this does not give us all the details that we want as human beings, but it does give us a foundational basis to treat information in a certain way. If you know the ring of truth is not anything, then you do not accept it or take it seriously. And that is a big step in the right direction.
1: And that's what we see with, with the whole NASA history. Uh, Mercury, Mercury, probably could have happened the way it's shown to to a fair degree, and even some of Gemini. But when you go, and these don't forget these programs are overlapping, when you go from Gemini to Apollo, there's just such a massive technological gap in what they were able to accomplish. It just seems so unlikely.
0: Right, but I, I would point out too, Jason, that whether or not Mercury shot things up, they're still lying to us. They have not demonstrated to satisfaction that they can leave our atmosphere. We're still looking at rockets being shot into the ocean, in my view. So how is it that back in the Mercury, where we're told, you know, this person's orbiting or that person's going to space? I, I, no, I will not accept it. Look, man, we are in the new millennium. We're in the year 2017. You show me HD footage from a ground-based observer with good equipment, these things truly happening. And then we'll have a discussion. You show me something doing the burn back into our atmosphere because I could do it with my tools and my tools are meager by comparison to an observatory or any number of places. Even really good camera equipment for television with long shot telephotos would just kill, uh, uh, you know, given an opportunity like this. We don't have these things. And every time we logically look and can easily say we would expect to see these things, yet we do not. It tells us something very critical, and that's when we begin to detect that the ring of truth is not there.
1: Right. It's the same thing we've pointed out in the last two episodes, that nobody's got an iPhone stuck out the porthole and just taking incredible images.
0: No, they don't. And, and you know, they're, they're proven false over and over, and you never see stars. And, of course, there's God knows how many supposed thousands of satellites zipping around up there. God knows how many hundred thousands of pieces of space junk. And you don't see any of it. And I'll tell you why you don't see any of it. Because space has been lied to you. You have not been told what is above our atmosphere. There is nothing orbiting anything, and nothing has ever la- left what is our atmosphere in my view working with what we have to work with at this point
1: right and everyone just needs to bear that in mind when we start discussing all the things that they're claiming they accomplished on on the apollo missions it's it's pretty much ludicrous
0: yeah and and not only is it ludicrous when you begin to consider so they didn't send anything to space they didn't have crews on rockets and i mean in one of the last episodes We did a quick lookup on the Internet for the average speed of a bullet and escape velocity for a rocket and found out that a rocket goes many times the speed of a bullet. And yet we're supposed to believe that human beings are being placed on this thing going many times faster than a bullet. Just none of it logically works out. And when you consider the money, I mean, that alone would almost be a good enough reason to to create these lies. I mean, it's staggering the amount of money that they have spent.
1: Absolutely. And the thing is, where did that money actually go? Now, some of it was was definitely spent on the things that we saw, the technology that was presented to us. But as we dig deeper, we realize that that technology just cannot do any of the things that they claim. So the money went somewhere else.
0: Right. I I liked Dave McGowan's argument um, to, to a point that um, it's possible that a lot of it was funneled over for the very unpopular Vietnam War thing. Um, and as everybody knows, war was never declared and Jim Morrison's father started that whole thing with a lie, uh, which plays off the, you know, the Tavistockian, you know, hippie movement thing. But uh, <clears throat> when when we begin to look at the fact that they're not providing us with what we would expect to see, Um, That is a good basis for anyone to look at the information we're we're putting forward here. And and I would suggest if you simply just pull back away from everything you've been told, put yourself in charge of the mission and say, okay, they're telling us we're going here. What would be the critical things? And you will quickly get quite a checklist of things that you would expect to see that you
1: do not see. And just to back you up, by the way, because I want to make sure we got these numbers right. The speed of a bullet is 2,500 feet per second. The speed of a rocket needs to be 4. miles per second to break break the orbit, according to...
0: So do you remember what a mile is? It's 5,000-something, I think?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 5,000 and-odd feet. So just think about the staggering difference in those two figures.
0: And not only that, you know, anyone who wants to go out and look at the rocket launches sees that they arc. Well, anything that arcs creates Gs more Gs than it would if it was just going in a straight line um it just come on man common sense can we put a human being on the the nose of the slowest bullet in the world and i would suggest no um and when you start to talk many times that speed um i'm just i'm not not accepting it
1: sorry right and and the amount of failures that they experienced in in the 60s while trying to develop this should be really telling as well but you know that's the claim that they did something amazing and um Well, neither you nor I are really buying it, are we?
0: Well, no. And, you know, if you even a person who just wants to start to go look at the footage of people who have chased after the astronauts or collected um, the supposed astronauts or collected the footage that they offered out to the public. um, And again, separate yourself from everything you've been told and critically look at what you're being shown. Not only is the ring of truth not in it, you see a bunch of people at every turn looking like they wish they were anywhere else but this world.
1: Yeah, especially the first the first press conference afterwards. with yeah. I'm on them. They they something just does not look right with that.
0: No, it almost looks like they're drugged. It's so bad. Um, they're just kind of lackadaisical. And um, that sets aside the the more modern things where I, I don't really know who the guy is that chased them around, asking them to put their hands on Bibles. There's been a couple guys that have done this. The,
1: the big one is Bart Sabrell. Um, he has not a couple of videos he put out. One is Astronauts Gone Wild and... Uh... But he's the one who put out the documentary, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Moon, and that, that's exactly what he would do. He would try and get them to put their hand on a Bible and swear that they, went, they walked on the moon, and none of them would do it.
0: Well, what's funny is there's a particular piece of footage with Buzz Aldrin being interviewed by this guy. Um, I think it's this guy. And the whole idea comes up that I'll take you to court, and the guy says, I would love that, because in court, pal— You know, we could hold your feet to the fire. Mm -hmm. And so that is avoided at all costs. And then yet shortly after that, there's footage of supposedly Buzz Aldrin punching the guy in the face. Well, if there's an open door to a courtroom, you know, what could be better than being punched in the face on camera by a supposed Apollo astronaut? It's just none of this stuff holds up.
1: Right. And I spoke to Bart Sabrell briefly. I may end up doing an interview with him, but I don't know. Something's not right.
0: No, it's it's just, it's shenanigans is what it is. Anyhow, I'll, I'll kick it back over to you.
1: Right, to get back to our history, uh, Apollos 1 through 6 are all ground tests, and the the, the Saturn V rockets weren't quite ready yet. Um, launches into space start in October 6, 1968 with Apollo 7 into low Earth orbit. This is also the first live television transmissions from inside a manned spacecraft, and this is where we already start seeing the entertainment lines blurring with the reality lines. Um, with the new space travel beginning to get very, very, very blurred, and let's not forget there were only a few channels at the time, so what was on was watched by the people because they didn't really have a lot of options uh apparently the crew were such a big hit with the tv audiences that they were given a special emmy award by the national (laughs) academy of television arts and sciences so there you go that that you know that kind of tells you how things are are
0: there there it is man there it is serious endeavors do not cross over into entertainment give the american people their heroes and here's a message for sir sir richard branson mr branson in 1968 the first missions supposedly into space started. And guess what? In 69, they landed a man on the moon and brought him back. What in God's green earth are you doing in your little spaceport in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, that you've been at it 15 years? In 1968, they made their first endeavor to space, we are told. Within a year, they put people on the moon and brought them back. We know it's a lie, but that lie really underscores the lie that you are telling us all now.
1: And maybe the uh, SpaceX and and Branson and all those can be our next topic to dig into when we want to do some more space. You know, we'll see how
0: this this episode is received. I have no problem if people are into a topic to doing it, and the repetition I appreciate, and the repetition I appreciate for this reason because it's what's used against us. You can turn on the TV any given day of the week. Like right now, they're pushing new coaxes. They're they're playing. I don't know, at least four or five nuclear kind of PBS fear porn things, uh, talking about the nuclear option, nuclear energy, Fukushima, all these endless things, uranium mines. So the same kind of repetition that bangs on our heads every day in our society, I have no problem with reversing the table and kicking this thing until it falls down
1: and this is what i've been saying for a while now we need to start using their weapons against them and this is what we're trying to do this is this is what i've been doing looking things up on the ssdi you know they've established this whole straw man system that works with maritime admiralty law well two can play that game can't they
0: that's right and you know from from the overwhelming number of contacts and emails and other things i got on the tail of the two space fraud shows that we did i can tell you this There have been a very low number of people who have come to simply regurgitate that rockets arc and then they post the, you know, NASA NASA math magic numbers to demonstrate. They regurgitate what NASA is saying. Um, There are fewer and fewer people who are willing to pop up from behind the hedge and regurgitate what someone else said. And more and more people who are using their own given abilities to challenge and to examine what we are saying here.
1: And that's exactly what needs to be happening. We all need to be challenging and we can all uh, lean on each other's work to progress the challenging.
0: And that's right. And I should probably say this in every damn episode I do. One of the main tools of social engineering is to reduce variety. And I'm not kidding. That is one of the very basic main foundational tools. The other one is to segment society to gender, to race, to religion, whatever they can do to cut down variety and then segment us. I would point out A human being talking in a chat room with a different idea than you have is adding variety. Even if he's dead wrong, it is adding variety. Um, So I would point out all the people that come in with such a heated defense of NASA while we sit here kicking them in the, you know, the nuggets as much as we can. I don't get it, man. I don't get it at all. Why do you care? What is your investment in in NASA? Um, I would just ask, why don't you... Examine it for yourself to see if there's a foundation for what we're saying here. But anyhow, let's let's move it on.
1: Sure. Now, with Apollo 8, it's the first to use the Saturn B rocket. uh, And it has the crew reading the first 10 verses of the Bible, which is broadcast (laughs) on Christmas Eve 1968 to millions of people. This was like the biggest thing at the time.
0: I I can remember it, you know, and there it is, you know, playing on the segmentation of society. And it's also limiting variety, because we're taking a very known thing that many people go to church on Sunday, everyone is familiar with it, there is nothing new here, and they're looping it back in and aiming at the people who choose or follow the Christian religion, and not some other part of the world or some other um, major religion or minor religion, I should add. Um, Point is, is if you can't examine what was just said in that bullet point that J. Jason reiterated um, and understand why it's being done, you really should critically look at it.
1: Now, something else that's interesting about Apollo 8, it was commanded by Frank Borman. He retires after that flight, after being informally offered the flight commander position on Apollo uh, 11. So he would have been the guy on the moon.
0: Yeah you you got to you got to one you know it's all scripted so i i would doubt if the act if there is a person named Frank Borman and he's not just some character or actor which is quite quite possible i probably hard to prove but possible um if he did have anything to do with walking away from that that was the smartest decision he ever made in his life because look what became of neil armstrong he spent the rest of his life hiding
1: and as far as i know uh, he's still alive he he went into other sectors so just another one of those odd little things that I wanted to point out. Now, watching all uh, numerous videos of all the Apollo launches that are supposedly on its way to the moon, I keep seeing plenty of shots outside of the capsule windows where a large blue glow can be seen. I mean, and the implication, of course, is that they are in low Earth orbit only and not tens of thousands of miles away from the Earth, where obviously, if they were, the Earth would be considerably smaller and certainly not take up a whole lot of space in the window.
0: Right, and this is probably one of those things where if someone was really good with geometry or um, some other maybe higher math than geometry, um, you could start to demonstrate at what altitude you would be able, and you know, taking into account focal lengths of, of tools used, would be able to actually see a supposed round earth that we are told exists. But clearly, we do have footage from a lot of very high altitude planes, And it don't matter what lens they put. They could never start to encapsulate the entirety of what we call Earth.
1: Now, there's a couple of things you could do here. There are transcripts available, and I watched a lot of stuff over the past few weeks. But there's transcripts of the missions, like point for point, dated. They don't always add up to what's shown on video. So there's obviously, even if they, let's just say they were in low Earth orbit faking it. There's edits going on even there that aren't matching up. You know what I mean? So the whole thing has got shenanigans all over the place.
0: Well, it shows the complicit nature of our media. Even back then, you know, so many people think there might have been a time when our media was good to go. And I've tried to do shows demonstrating that even basic radio RCA and RKO were weaponized as we went into World War II. And that's where ABC, CBS and all these other things branched out of. There was never a time when the the media was not complicit. And this proves it. You know, Jason's pointing out here that you can look at timelines and they don't jive. Well, where was our media? These are very simple things. To grab a list that you've been handed by an official source and go down it and say, wait a minute, this doesn't work. This is wrong. Yet that never occurred.
1: Now, one of the other inconsistencies I saw a lot, any shots of the astronauts when they're inside the capsule and they want to show the Earth from a distance, it's always preceded by a blackout of the camera first. Like, they don't just float over to the, you know, they're inside the capsule, they got the cameras on themselves, and then they just kind of float over the porthole and stick it there. It's always a cut shot, and then, you know, they're showing the Earth. Um, The other thing I noticed, and maybe someone can explain the, the way the physics of this is supposed to work, but the Earth never seems to be visibly spinning in any video I've seen
0: and it never has satellites either um but
1: well there wouldn't have been hardly anything in 1968 69 but uh shouldn't the earth be moving like shouldn't i visibly be seeing it because when you see the spacewalk videos the earth is clearly turning beneath them or the iss stuff or any of the other newer stuff you see the earth turning so would that not be visible and i'm just asking to the community at large shouldn't it be visible that that it is moving
0: well i can answer that for you jason we are told that in low Earth orbit, um, things are moving approximately 17,000 miles an hour. I hope I'm close to the number. I haven't looked at it a long time. That means that whether or not the Earth was spinning, the people in the capsule are spinning around the Earth at 17,000 miles an hour roughly. And again, I hope I'm close to that number. Of course, you would see movement at those speeds. Um,
1: How could you not? And I assume that that couldn't be faked very well. They're just showing static images of the Earth.
0: Well, we do have that one piece of footage where they're in the capsule and it basically looks like someone outside the capsule is using a black mask. Um, You you catch temporarily where the, the Earth, the supposed Earth is moving and it's masked out. And again, the guy you were talking about earlier asked Buzz Aldrin point blank in one of his interviews, what's going on there? And Buzz says, go talk to NASA. I don't know anything about it.
1: Yeah, that's the general response from the astronauts uh well I, sh- I shouldn't even say that a lot of the astronauts get blatantly angry and try and get away from bart so you know if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt they're convinced they went to the moon if you want to look at it deeper than that they were completely involved with the faking of it and knew everything they were doing every step of the way
0: i would expect a whole different demeanor if people actually did a thing and risked their lives to do a thing and a thing that was probably the greatest thing human beings have ever done, and then people came at you saying it didn't happen, I think your demeanor would be in a whole other place than what we've seen. I know if I was being accused and I knew that I had told the truth, those people could get in my face all day long, and I would take them one by one by one.
1: Well, you know, if you wanted me to swear in a Bible, not that that would mean much to me personally, but let's say they they literally did go Sure, swear on the Bible, and then if Bart kept pushing the issue, then I could see you wanting to deck him. It's like, hey, man, I just did it, and you're still pushing the issue.
0: Well, they had no problem reading from the Bible while they were supposedly <laughs> up there. They they had no problem with their Masonic stuff, which is all based in Old Testament Bible. Um, uh, it, yeah, it just doesn't add up.
1: Right. So, Apollos 8, 9, and 10 are all doing... They're not doing the landings, they're, they're doing the, uh, the work-throughs to make sure everything is quote-unquote working properly. 10 is what they call the dress rehearsal, where they do everything other than the landing. And then, of course, we get to Apollo 11. Now, as we discussed before, the broadcasts shown, everyone would have been watching these on extremely low-tech televisions. Less than 23-inch screen, almost certainly black and white, uh, but it doesn't matter anyway, because it was transmitted in black and white. Now, to get a transmittable image... A television camera was pointed at a monitor screen at NASA, with the claim being that the NASA equipment was incompatible with the mainstream TV gear, and they were unable to give the, crews, uh, the TV crews a direct feed. So the end result is a blurry ghost-like image that, you know, this is the best they could give us that's supposed to be the greatest achievement of mankind.
0: And I I mean, here's where the ring of truth is so far from what we are told that you really don't even have to look too closely. And anyone who goes back and looks at the quality of the images of supposedly the greatest endeavor ever achieved by human beings, leaving this world, going to another thing out there in supposed space and walking on it, um, and it is the lowest quality, trashiest, most worthless piece of footage you will ever see. And that sets aside the fact that those the original footage does not exist anymore
1: right that's one of the big points that dave mcgowan points out actually is that everything every single thing including blueprints and how to make any of the stuff involved with apollo it's all gone that is i mean if you lost the blueprints and everything i can understand hey let's just say there was some insane thing we lost the tapes that's not where the blueprints would have been kept
0: no, it's it's ridiculous. He claimed 700 boxes and then, you yeah. know, the blueprints and everything else. There would be multiple copies of something like that. So if it was true, they would have had to gone around and collect it. But the, the real point here is if you want to use the simplest explanation and apply it here, when you're going to lose 700 boxes, all the blueprints, all the original anything of the greatest endeavor of human beings, it's pretty clear shenanigans has gone on. Then you could ask, well, why was it done? And I'll tell you what my view on that is. It is better to be accused of having done something underhanded or stupid or whatever it may be than ever risking logical human beings like myself getting their hands on the original stuff. Because when you take apart the original stuff, there is no arguing your way out of that hole. You, you know, if, if what places like Aulis.com have done was stereoscopic Imagery was done to those original footage tapes. There'd be no way to explain it away. You would be able to show fraud in the premier original copies. And I mean, how do you get out from under that?
1: Now, here's the interesting, interesting point you have to keep in mind NASA didn't make any of this stuff themselves. Everything was contracted out to multiple different companies. Like, they didn't say, here's our spacesuit design somebody make it for us that's not the way this works in the aerospace industry they contract out and throw the money out there and say who has the spacesuit we need who can make this for us in the time period we need it and this is all the stuff i've been looking at and bids were put out and the first spacesuits they claim did not do what they needed it to do for apollo they sent it back that the same company got it again like these things are over and over again so my whole point behind this is it's not nasa that is just losing tapes All these individual companies that made different components have to have some evidence that they made these things to do what they're claiming they did.
0: So in my view, that becomes insulation. NASA did that because, you know, it's typically what would happen in a situation, but it's also insulation. And here's why. If you're NASA and you get caught by somebody or someone wants to come after you even though there truly there, probably isn't much recourse, there is supposedly recourse there. But when a private corporation is doing it, there is zero recourse. A private corporation has to give you jack. Um, A private corporation could claim anything from national security to company secret. And as long as they haven't violated the rules of incorporation, there's no piercing the corporate veil by the rules of corporation. So in my view, having all these aerospace industry privately held corporations uh, doing all this stuff, it's a bit of insulation for NASA in the same way that SpaceX is so quickly jumping in and the shuttle missions, we don't do shuttle anymore, and they're shuffling NASA out as quick as they can to get a private corporation. Because when that happens, guess what? No recourse. You want to go at SpaceX for this, that, or the other thing? Good luck. You can't do it by the rules of incorporation. And that's why corporations are the absolute bane of modern existence.
1: I'd say the last vestige of hope we have to attack this at 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 the modern time would be the orion program because that's still under nasa partially and um, i would say if anybody knows anything at all that they can contribute to this argument let's hear it
0: yeah it's it's a wonder you know you got to wonder if people have been bought off or silenced in some way um because there has to be Many, many people who were closer than we'll ever be uh, who realized what was going on. And sure, probably the majority of people just thought they were being patriotic Americans working to do their job. But in every group of people, you're always going to get people like me who aren't going where the river pushes them. Um, You've got to imagine they're out there.
1: Now, getting back to Apollo 11, I watched a, a lot of footage. One of the things that stood out to me, and if anybody can explain the physics of this to me in case I'm mistaken... Um, I didn't hear any sound beyond the just the microphones of them speaking when they're doing the descents and, and all that stuff. By the laws of physics, should you be hearing when thrusters are going off and all that? Shouldn't the, the spacecraft be moving around enough that sound would be traveling in the oxygen environment inside the capsule? I would think so, but I could be wrong on that account. I would like to hear uh, an opinion on that. I've...
0: You know, you know, Jason, uh, I've never really thought about that, but I would point out on so much of the faked International Space Station uh, video that we get, there's always noise. Um, engines, you know, people, I've even claimed that it sounds like it's a jet, that they're in the Vomit Comet. But how is it that in the modern era, with all this technology, the ISS is always noisy with engines, but we don't hear a thing in, during the Apollo?
1: Well, this is the thing that really jumped out at me. I watched the Apollo 11 landing uh, like all the extra stuff that you generally don't see. I found someone had some of it uploaded, and it's dead silent. The eagle has landed, you know, that little clip they usually show? Well, there's stuff before that. There's there's uh, released material that you can watch, and I did. And, and there's multiple angles once they get down on the moon and everything from the the, uh, the cameras and all that. So it was interesting to see stuff I hadn't seen before, but the thing that jumped out at me being an audio engineer, there's no audio. There's nothing.
0: That's right. And, you know, I I guess I should point out again, um, you know, words have meaning in all this and and not to step too far away from where Jason's leading us here. But I would point out that Apollo is a mythical figure, non-existent. And it's almost come to the point for me that whenever I see a thing named after a non-existent thing, I already know what I'm looking at. But we're told Apollo 11 went to the moon. And as I have pointed out so many times since I did the 9-11 mind rape episode where it appears that the Luciferian folk of the elite use the number 11 as the beginning of the casting of a spell for change, mind rape, All these negative connotation things that are going to be needed to get change to occur. Kind of like the idea that you've got to break some eggs to make an omelet. In other words, we got to ruin something to get this better thing that we want. And the the reason it's negative is because they want it and the people they're doing it to and ruining things for don't. They're not even aware that it's going on. And here we're being told, of course, Apollo 11 is the beginning of the mind rape, the spell to implant the idea, the spellcraft, that will set forward that with this mission, men stood on the moon. And sorry for deviating there, Jason, but I wanted to slide it in.
1: Actually, that's a very important point. Do you have a a good breakdown of the symbology and all that around Apollo 11 before we start tearing into the physical evidence?
0: Um, Be more specific. I'm not quite sure exactly what you're asking me.
1: Well, the imagery that would have been used, say, on the patches, uh, the, the gematria behind Apollo 11... Just all of that is—is is there more behind? You,
0: you know, there there is, and truth be told, there are people who would be way better at it than I am because I just don't spend that much time. I suppose if I just focused on it solely, I could probably do a pretty decent breakdown. Um, but there are other people who kind of concentrate on that type of symbology, and so what I have done is tried to understand basics. Like whenever you see a Greek god as the name of a planet or a mission or the Easter bunny as the name of a supposed co- you know a meteorite, in my view, that is the first inkling that there is no ring of truth and it's being named after a non-existent fantasy thing. In terms of the 11 that I just mentioned, I have a very good foundation because I dug deeply into the Crowley writings, into the 9-11 kind of magical spell that was being cast. And so I know pretty certainly that they're using 11 in this way, but in terms of breaking down the patches, that would take quite a bit of of effort for each one to kind of look at what they're showing us.
1: Sure. And I'm sure the people out there, there are people out there that have done that.
0: It's ob- It's obviously they're playing off the sun with Apollo. I mean, just to, to state the obvious, um, it's back to the sun, the whole Western world, the May suns, the sun in May. Um, the sun's usually not far from the big kind of elite, you know, mind rape that goes on.
1: Right. So we have Apollo 11 on the moon, and the biggest chunks of evidence that are used to tear the moon landing apart is, of course, the photographs. Uh, but the photographs existing in this crisp, clear, exhilarating way that they do, it's the first problem with them. They're they're too good. The, uh, the cameras used were very high-quality Hasselblad 500EL data cameras were the ones that they would have been taking the actual uh, moon pictures of that were strapped to their chest. They could take very good images, but, and here's the thing everyone's got to remember, this was not the day of point-and-shoot DSLRs where it kind of did everything for you. Everything... Every single little detail was manual, and the astronauts pretty much had no way of framing their chosen shots, making any necessary adjustments with those cameras mounted to their chests. They don't even know. They were literally just kind of pointing in the general direction and hoping.
0: Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong. We have actual people on tape from Hasselblad who had a hand in either making these cameras or direct knowledge of what the cameras were because they work in the place where they're created who just run down a litany of problems with this imagery. And I would point out when I take my best Nikon out with 36 megapixels, it's a DSLR. It's as automated as modern cameras get, but it's a high-end camera. When I simply walk out in daylight, I have to set the focal length. I have to set the shutter speed. I have to do all these things. If I let it go fully auto, I get an image, but it's not a very good image quite often depending on how bright or how dim or what i'm shooting at um so the idea that guys couldn't even look through the viewfinder and you know center up these shots in any way um I, you know there's so much here jason there's even you know all over the all website they're showing I, I mean it's almost endless the number of problems and i think they even quote the Hasselblad guys um saying things like there's more than one light source in this video of the moon there's no way a person could have got low enough to get the flag, the astronaut, and the supposed Earth in the background Um, it goes on and on.
1: That's it and I went through all this Uh, there's clear indications under real photographic analysis that numerous pictures are composite images with all these different alterations made to give a final product that's stunning Um, definite multiple indications that uh, numerous life sources were used, that multiple light sources were used uh, of varying sizes, no less at play in these images. There, That's right. You know, there would really only be one real direct light source if you were on the moon, and that would be the sun. Uh, although I, I could definitely assume that the Earth reflecting light would, would do that as well, but not to the degree of the sun. I doubt it would have a huge play, although I could be wrong about that.
0: I don't think so, because, I mean, you're looking at such a bright light source that the shadows are basically black. How could, even if it was possible, I don't accept that it's possible, even if there was some supposed moonshine, how could you start to approach such black shadows? Um, But one of the things I really laughed at uh, on the Aulis website, was they spanked Mythbusters. And they spanked them hard. They did. I remember some years ago watching the Mythbusters episode where they shilled for NASA. And again, you are looking at media's complicity in the lies we are told in our lifetime. Mythbusters is right up there at the top. What they did was they went and they tried to show all these things that were being called out correctly, I might add, that were wrong with the NASA landing on the moon Apollo emi- uh, mission, Um, They went back in and they geared their show to demonstrate why it could all happen. One of the things they did is there's a shot of an astronaut, don't remember if it's uh, Armstrong or Aldrin, coming down the ladder and he's lit and he's in the black shadow of the lunar lander. And so people rightly began to point out, how is that possible with one light source? You would have to have a secondary light source to light that astronaut's white suit, or he would be simply coming down the ladder in a black shadow. And so this is one of the things Mythbusters shilled for. The guys at Aulis.com, and I'll say it again, A-U-L-I-S. No, I am not affiliated with them. I just was sent this link some years ago, and they have a lot of top-end work pretty much giving unarguable results that anyone could duplicate. What they did is they went in, got their cameras, set up the whole thing, got models, and they went in and demonstrated that there would, in fact, have to have been a secondary light source to see the astronaut in the way we see in the shadow, but there it is, man. These are not arguable points. These are things that could be replicated And for people who are st- so stuck with scientific method, um, they could be replicated any day of the week. And that is supposed to be the foundational basis for what constitutes a truth coming out of science.
1: Well, for people who like scientific method, here's a good one that I got from Aulis. They used a funny little program called Photoshop. I'm sure most people are familiar with it. And Photoshop comparisons of the sun... From the moon pictures, with other images from different locations that are supposed to be in space and from the Earth, demonstrates very stark differences. The Apollo moon photos show direct evidence of it being an artificial light source. And this argument can be approached from various angles, and you're always going to come to the same conclusion. Basically, that it looks like a giant light bulb is, is in the moon photos, and then pictures from the ISS and pictures from Earth look much more similar in the way you'd expect them to be when they, under, under analysis.
0: I saw that and I almost had to laugh because I was a stagehand and in some of the like theaters and things I ended up working in, they had very old lighting technology where they still had 5Ks and very old Fresnels and other things. And I can just imagine Bob, the light guy up there with the 5K set in the sunspot, you know, um, but all did another thing there that was, uh, you know, a complete slap in the face to NASA where they started to question, why is everything gray? And so they went to great detail, even pulling people from the camera institute from the university that they were at one time associated with. I don't know how many of them are still associated. Um, it's a Ukrainian, uh- University. I think many of the guys are PhDs. The guy who initially authored the stuff that I wrote was a PhD. But anyhow, they take it all apart. They got very high-end people to do these things, very educated people, very high-end professional camera guys. And they begin to look at the albedo and other components of what the actual color of the moon should have been. And they walk away demonstrating in a replicatable way that it should be brown. And the reason I mention this is because if you go back and look at the initial fraud images from the Chinese Chang-3, that's supposedly on the moon right now the images come a lot closer to what alice is telling us the actual color of the moon should be so you can even see that they're trying to correct the things they got wrong even in the modern age
1: speaking of color there was uh, an interesting comment i believe it was on the apollo 11 videos one of the astronauts says to the other that look there's the there's purple rocks like i said there would be right right so I, i don't know what that means
0: yeah, did you – there's a transcript somewhere that – I know exactly what you're talking about, but I haven't seen it for the longest time, so I can't can't really comment too intelligently on it. But I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: And it just stuck out of my mind like, OK, why didn't you show it then? But anyway, um, one of the last things I'd like to, to bring up from all us that they did that was really cool, uh, they used Apollo 17 photographs, which was – Apollo 17 was the one that we have the most from. It was the highest production value, if you want to call it that, uh, against Google Earth Maps of the Moon and there's definitive inconsistencies. Now it does look like they would have tried to get it close as they could in the, in the 60s, but now with the higher res images that they they have to work with now, there's comparisons and there's just things missing and things aren't in the right place and and all that. So
0: there it is, man. I mean, there's your your proof is in the pudding and they found it. Um these are not arguable and I've said many times. Any person can go out there and grab any three separate moon maps and you will find that they don't jive with each other. But I always like to point out a little supposed naked eye crater that's 40 miles in diameter called Aristarchus, which supposedly we can see this little crater from quarter of a million miles away. All nonsense. Um, go look up images of Aristarchus if you don't want to do the whole moon map thing. And you will find very quickly that there are no two images of Aristarchus that looked the same uh, on any given different shooting of the of that supposed region of the moon. And uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it here before, but during the last one of the last I think it was actually the last lunar eclipse that I filmed for people who are not aware, we're told that the shadow of the Earth is going over the moon. With a typical camera, when you're filming an eclipse like this, a lunar eclipse, the umbra, then the penumbra comes across the moon, and it blacks out the portion that's being eclipsed. Well, I had a full-spectrum camera, and the full-spectrum camera allowed me to change light collection settings, and I could light up even the blacked-out portion of the moon. And what I found was, is I filmed the Aristarchus crater being enveloped, By the supposed shadow of the Earth until it was completely blacked out, and then I jacked up my full-spectrum camera to light up the entire moon, and you know what I saw? A white dot. So how is it possible that I can pick up a white dot with a full-spectrum camera when the deepest, the, the penumbra, the deepest shadow of the Earth has blacked out that portion of the moon? But anyhow, Jason, we're a bit above the top of the hour. Maybe this is a good place to do a cut.
1: Yeah, uh the thing I would like to say before we move on to the to hour 2 and I have a good good uh lead-in for that. The uh, the production values, if you want to call them that, seems to have gotten better from Apollo's 11 through 17. Uh this is something I've heard commented by by numerous researchers out there that it just seems like hey, they got better at it. They got they got better at faking it and um when we start the second hour, I reviewed the Jay Widener material, and I would like to give a full explanation of what he points out, what he found, uh, because it, it, it seems like that's the most likely scenario about the way it may have been done.
0: You know, I, I think that's a great place to start the second hour. And, you know, practice makes perfect, doesn't it? Um, and it, the problem here is, is even though the production value got better, there's no human being alive that can make a false thing true. And that's really what we're looking at here. And um, we're going to have eviscerated, you know, so many things about the supposed moon landing by the time we're done with hour two. I don't think any reasonable person can really walk away simply accepting what NASA has told them. But anyhow, Jason, as I as we close out the first hour of Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast, episode forty, uh, the moon landing fraud, is there anything else you want to add for the first hour?
1: No, that's a good wrap up and I have a, a very extensive, detailed list to go into just lots of little points, any one of which would spell doom for the Apollo astronauts if this was really going on. So hopefully you join us for that. And and we'll see you there.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, And just for people who aren't familiar, the second hour will be posted on crow triple seven radio.com for subscribers. And uh, we hope to see you there. There it is, man. Cheers.